You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode number 26 of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by the band Kill It. London, England, hard rock five-piece Kill It will be hitting the road this October to promote their current single and video alongside metal legends Diamond Head. With comparisons ranging from Guns N' Roses to Alter Bridge, the band have had a busy 2018 with appearances at the Isle of Wight Festival, Stone Free Festival, plus Hard Rock Hell and a sold-out show at London's Underground. For more information on the band, check out Facebook, forward slash kill it band instagram at kill it band twitter at kill it band youtube.com forward slash c forward slash kill it and kill it band.com now here it is their new single waiting for the day You've got 
Jack O'Shea from Bayside, and uh, you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be hiding for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bank tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all again. Hello and welcome to episode number 26 of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. Last week on the show, we had Mr. Nathan Gray from Boy Sets Fire. It was a wonderful episode. Thank you so much for checking it out. We had a lot of people from Germany check out the show last week, so big ups to you guys out in Germany. Uh, This week on the show, I got to sit down with Nathan's tour mate coming up in November, Jack O'Shea from the band Bayside. So before we get into my conversation with Jack, I do need to tell you guys about some sponsors of the show. As always, we have Muncie Music Center, the place that I work here in Muncie. Indiana. Go to MuncieMusic.com. Check them out. Show them some love. If not, if you're local, you know, go to 600 South Mulberry Street and tell them that Chris from that one time on tour sent you. Maybe they'll hook you up with something. I don't know. Um, I also have to tell you about Rockabilia.com. They're still on as a sponsor. Rockabilia.com is your one-stop shop for everything band merch related. They have over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the bands. When you go to Rockabilia.com at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. I also have to tell you about Sticker Wolf. They are back. Uh, They're an amazing company. They just did a logo for the podcast. I'm sure you've seen it. It's got the little microphone. It looks really, really cool. So check out StickerWolf.com. You can also hit them up on Instagram at StickerWolf, Facebook forward slash StickerWolf. They're everywhere. Check them out. They're a wonderful company and they will hook you up with some amazing graphic design and some amazing stickers. So remember, StickerWolf.com. Okay, make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you want to get in touch, become a sponsor or just chat with me. It's T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com. Make sure that you call the T-O-T-O-T hotline. That is 1-765-372-8818. So uh, that's it. I'm going to get into my conversation. Oh, I forgot about one more thing. iTunes. Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, go leave us a review. I don't even care if you subscribe. It would be amazing if you would subscribe. But if you leave us a review, it really helps grow the show. So rate and review us in the iTunes store, on Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, that's it. We're going to jump right into it because I am tired. It is like 3 in the morning and I am ready to go to sleep. So we're going to get right into it right now. Here it is, my conversation with Jack O'Shea from Bayside. And I am on the telephone with Jack from Bayside. How you doing, buddy? I am doing really well. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Thanks for your time. Not a problem. I really appreciate you having me. So there's a mutual appreciation already. Let's do a great start. <laughs> great start, man. So uh, we were texting earlier, and I, I figured out where I met you. Okay. We met at Bamboozle in the Hoodwink Festival back in 2009 out in New Jersey. Oh, man. Because you, guys, the, did, uh, you guys did a no effects set, and we did a Misfits set. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember you guys pulled off those no effects songs really, really well. It was really cool. 
Oh, man. And that is, and probably will be, the only time I have ever played a full half-hour set with no shirt on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Much to the displeasure of many, I would imagine. <laughs> That's awesome. It was like, look at that fat hobbit. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was trying to think. We were texting earlier, and I was like, man, I know that we've met. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was looking through some notes I had, and you guys played that same festival, and that's where we met. Because Anthony gave me a hoodie that night. I remember that. Oh, nice. <laughs> We're going to need some money back for that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I owe you guys all, the checks in the mail, man. Retroactively from 2009. So, uh, what I like to do when I start these things off is uh, I want to know what got you into music and what kind of led you on your path as far as pursuing it as a career. So, what was like the first time you really thought, man, I really think I can do this? I guess I was I was pretty young. I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I had, there was a new kid who came to my school, this kid Kevin, who's actually still my friend today. And he was advanced, I guess, in what he was, like, listening to and stuff. I, for at the time, we were, we were eight years old, and at that time, he was listening to a lot of, like, Led Zeppelin and ACDC, and, like, we were just, I kind of got into that with him, and then he was friends with some older kids at the high school who kind of got him into, like, hardcore and punk really, really, well, early in the sense that we were, like, eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. Uh, but he had played, he played a guitar, and I thought that was about the best thing I'd ever seen. Uh, and he got a new one, and he sold me his old one for 25 bucks, and uh, we just, that was it for me. We were just hanging out all the time, playing music, kind of, like, getting together in each other's basements and writing terrible songs and trying to learn how to play stuff, and at the time, the only thing I I loved a lot. I was starting to get from, you know, into like the, like ACDC and Led Zeppelin again with a lot of like leading and soloing. And then as we kind of got deeper and deeper, we were getting into more like thrash metal where I was really listening to. I, I was just in love with speedy guitars. Yeah. I, I was listening to like early Metallica, early Megadeth, stuff like Testament, the bands like that. Were, and then like even like just any, if it was fast and technical, I was like, I love this. I want to do this. And I couldn't, of course. So we just <laughs> ended up doing like... Sex Pistols covers and kind of like some Misfit covers. Um, actually, we did a cover of, and in my eighth grade parochial school dance, we covered uh, She. and wow. did a couple of other. So there was, you know, I really gravitated, you know, when you can't play, you, when I can't play the stuff that I really liked, I was like, what can I play? And that was all, it was clearly that. But even from that moment, it was just kind of forming like basement bands and getting groups of kids together to to write music and it just started writing punk rock songs we had like me and another friend kevin had this kind of project called Sacco and vanzetti there was the two of us with like a crappy drum machine and all the songs were just kind of like sort of goofy but like angsty there's songs like jim sokolov sucks and like <laughs> it was all it was all very you know preteen and and fun and yeah for, i mean kind of from there like I just kind of kept getting to points where the stuff that I would listen to and like, I was getting to play more and more of it. And I was able to, all of a sudden I was able to play some of the rhythm parts of Metallica and some of the rhythm. I was able to play the songs of Megadeth, just not like the, I just wasn't playing any of the super tech. I wasn't playing any of the solos at that point. Like, yeah. it's not like I'm nine and I'm like, all right, Marty Freeman, here we go. Like I I got <laughs> you dialed in already, but it was kind of, uh, it just ended up being good, like, kind of as it was a progression. It was a, soon I was able to play all the Sex Pistols catalog, and I was able to move on to the next one. But I'm kind of from there, I was like, I, I'm going to do this forever in some capacity. And then, you did know, you did you take did you take playing. any like like formal lessons? Because I just know from what I know of you and listening to your solos and whatnot. I mean, are you musically theory inclined? I mean, like, do you know a lot no. about theory? <laughs> I mean, the theory that I know is basically. 
is like from just general understanding. I mean, I, I've read a little bit about it in, in, you know, much later years. Yeah. And I kind of understand where I'm coming. It's like stuff that feels intuitive to me, but I've never really been able to articulate. Okay. It's not like I have some, I took, I took a series of about six lessons when I first got my guitar and that was like my parents way of being like, all right, if you're going to get a, if you're going to get a little amp, I had like a little like one eight combo. And it was like, you're going to get a little amp and you're going to spend money on guitar and you want, you're going to get some lessons. We're going to learn to play this thing. You're not just going to sit here with your friends. And so I took about five or six lessons with this guy in Massachusetts who was like a super jazz player and he was really cool. And he gave me the lesson that I wanted. And he was like, you don't really give a shit about music. You just want to play guitar. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, I, it didn't come across I, the way that I just said it there. It makes it sound like it was condescending and like wrong, but he was like, you don't want to learn the circle of fifths, man. You just, <laughs> what do you want to learn how to play? And I just remember being in there with like a Fugazi record or like, here's a Halloween song i really like and he was like yeah man let's figure it out so he kind of taught me ear training and then i basically anything that i've picked up in theory has been has just been like basically just transitive property just rubbing off from stuff that i've listened to and stuff that i've liked and i guess as the music that i listened to became more technical and became more sort of coming from a, a music school background my style kind of developed and evolved to sort of encompass that but I, I, when I do lessons now, I'm, I try to give the lessons that I was given, but sometimes people are like, so I noticed you kind of are switching modes in here. And I noticed you went from like a Ionian to a Mixolydian here. Is that, that, I'm like, Hey man, if you say so, I don't know. That just sounded good to me. And it was reminiscent of a couple different things that I really liked. It's funny. So, I, I was going to ask you that because I, I teach guitar for a living now that I'm not touring anymore and I'm kind of a theory geek and I've listened to a lot of your stuff and I, I you tend to use Phrygian quite a, quite a bit. And I was going to ask you about that, but I guess I'm not going <laughs> to ask you now hey man if you say so <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man so you said yeah. you, you you were playing with your buddies you guys had some like garage bands and whatnot uh bayside formed in 2000 you didn't join till 2003 what was your relationship with those guys how did that all come about well i was at home and i was kind of playing i was i had gone i had graduated college in boston and was just working in bars and and uh, like I was working and doing marketing for a software company for a little while. And then I was just kind of scouring local want ads looking for a band just that I could be in. And I found a, like a five-piece kind of crap. Not, I don't want to say anything. It wasn't a crappy hardcore band. It was a five-piece hardcore band, but nobody was like – nobody was really that advanced in the band. But the drummer was like really interested in prog rock, like really was a super like yes fan, really loved bands like Gentle Giant and like was friends with a group of uh, – other friends that were in a band called sunset is a battle. That's like, was kind of more of a true prog band. Um, so this five piece hardcore band, basically we kind of whittled it down over the course of a year. Just people were kind of frustrated with the stuff that I was bringing to the table. Cause I was listening to a lot more proggy and I was listening to a lot more advanced. I was, you know, at that time I was listening to a ton of like fusion jazz and Frank Zappa and also was like big for like post hardcore stuff like quicksand. So I was trying to write more aggressive, progressive things. And, uh, the other guys in the band were kind of, I don't, they just kind of didn't have the chops or didn't want the chops to be more technical than just like kind of a, like a hardcore band. So it ended up just becoming a three piece band with me singing and playing guitar, the drummer who was into Prague and the bass player who was like, or like was like, I want to be in this band. I'm going to figure it out. So I was in that band and that was a band was a band called finger bomb. It was not the name we picked. It was the name that I inherited <laughs> finger bomb, uh, but awesome. just did shows around Boston and new England, kind of heavier shows. And then we ended up being on a lot of Prague showcases the drummer of Sunset is a Battle, who is the band that was like friends with our drummer, uh, and the guitar player of Sunset is a Battle, also toured with that band Junction 18. So they had just gotten back from a tour with Bayside, and Jim Mitchell, who was the drummer in Sunset is a Battle, 
was commenting that, hey, I just did this tour with some, with uh, with Junction 18, and Bayside is a band from New York. They sound like nothing I've heard. They're kind of like going hard, trying to get a label deal, and uh, I'm going to go play drums for them. They could use a guitar player. Do you want to go? So, sure. Yeah. So I just kind of quit, quit my job, sold my stuff, moved out of my apartment, and went to New York. And I met Anthony and Andrew at the time on the first day of practice. And I was like, well, I hope this works, because I kind of set myself up in a weird way for this. Wow, that's great, man. So, uh, yeah. that first, like, you know, that first meeting, and then the consequence, of, like, the times after that, how was it? Did you enjoy the guys? Did you enjoy the music you were playing? Or were you just excited that they were actually doing something and moving forward? A little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. What I really liked about Bayside, and the early stuff sounds very different from, like, as we got going, obviously. But, like, you know, Anthony was 19 or 18 when I when I came down there. Or, he, yeah, I think he was, like, 19 when I joined. And at the time, I was, like, 26. And I was about to turn 27. So I was, like, at that point, I was, and I had been listening to a lot more technical stuff. So I came in, and I feel like I was playing, you know, Anthony's obviously a great guitar player, but, like, when I joined the band like 15 years ago, it was like, he was a 19 year old kid. who was like kind of playing. He was in that group of like, I just want to play punk rock. I just want to play this. It doesn't have to be crazy. And then I was coming from the angle. I was like, fuck man, I want to, I want to kind of, I want to open it up a little bit. So, um, kind of coming in, I learned, I mean, all the stuff that he sent me to learn was just like, okay, this is fine. This is very straightforward. I can do this. There were a lot of parts and it didn't make the songwriting didn't make a ton of sense yet, but I was like, I can do this. So I came in and I nailed everything. And then as we got into writing and record, because we went in to write to record Sirens pretty much right away. And a lot of that was material that existed before I showed up. But a handful of songs we kind of wrote specifically for that. So at that point, I just kind of started to stretch my legs. And it was like there was definitely a little bit of a natural resistance in the sense that I don't think that there was kind of that like, you're playing too much. You're playing too much. You're playing too much. And I feel like, you know, that's something that's kind of a battle that we still have a little bit to some degree now because I am a like a total overplayer and if i think and this we'll get into like my solo stuff yeah 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 i've got got that on my list like and you and i have no supervision it's going to be too much there's going to be like wow you really there's like 20 layers and there's no space for anything anymore you've (laughs) completely ruined it dude i completely understand what you're saying because every band i've ever been in i'm i'm kind of a shredder and like you know i've been in punk bands been in all kinds of different bands and i always tend to overplay so i always have to kind of you know regulate myself on what i'm doing (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, in that respect, I think Anthony and I work incredibly well together because I feel like he is very much the editor. Uh, and, you know, uh, that my my thing is kind of is busy, but we definitely appreciate each other. But at that point, I'm able to I can take some criticism from him as far as uh, this is too much, man. You got you got to fucking calm down. So Sirens and Condolences came out in 2004. Uh, that's after you guys signed to Victory. How did you guys how did you guys get hooked up with Victory? What was that all about? Well, I think Anthony had been sort of in contact with them prior, just kind of prior to me joining. They had done a tour with Junction 18 before I got there, and I think Victory came out and saw them. And then their drummer was talking about leaving, and I think Victory's notes were like, you could really use another guitar to kind of fill this out a little bit. And um, so on one of the first tours that I'd done with Bayside, we had a Chicago show at Fireside, and it ended up being a Victory showcase, pretty much. So they came out, and then they were like, yep, we're good, let's do this. So... That's, that's awesome that's awesome yeah man. and that was super soon so it was like i went on one tour and then we found out like pretty much on you know, the next tour that we'd done and at that time it was like you get off one tour you're home for three days and you're back on the next tour so your your relationship with them and like you know I've, I've got a lot of friends that were on victory there's a lot of horror stories i don't go into this on all the podcasts but how was your experience working with victor i know you guys were there for like six years or so 
Yeah, I believe that we're the first band to successfully complete our contract. There's there are a lot of people with a lot of very valid complaints about Victory, and I'm certainly not going to like jump up and defend the label. But I will say it for what happened with our band. I do think that. Part of the reason that we're still together as a band is because of the self-sufficiency that we were taught as a result of being on a label that was not overly handouty. Kind of that mentality of like, hey, no, we can't really rely on anybody. We're going to have to figure this out ourselves. We're going to have to figure out how to make money out here. We're going to have to figure out how to like how to build our fan base. We're going to have to do this without without thinking about like, is somebody going to hand anything to us? So I think again, I it was a, it was definitely a little bit of tough love, but. I mean, I do think part of the reason that we're still, that we thrive even now and that we've been able to get through a lot of tough times is because we were taught that, like, you know, you're the only people you guys can rely on. Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of a good way to look at it. I, knew, I know a lot of people that have horror stories from that label, but you guys kind of take took that and turned it into a positive. I really like that. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? <laughs> really, I mean, we could all sit here and bitch about it, but, like, at the end of the day, and we're sitting here bitching and not out there trying to make our make our band bigger or make our band better. So, so you guys, when you fulfilled your contract, I mean, there were other albums, of course, in there too that uh, you know we could talk all day about. But uh, did you sign to wind up right after that contract was out? We did. We finished. Uh, we finished victory in, in in super strange fashion by releasing two records on the same day, and then uh, pretty much started in talks with. Uh, we were looking for a label that at the time we had realized that you know victory certainly never afforded us opportunities like to to go beyond like what we were touring in, which was like very much like a scene thing. And I, you know, I know we've always been, I think a lot of times recently where I'm hearing from people be like, Oh man, I never listened to you guys. Cause I assumed you sounded like this because of this and because of these affiliations. And I, you know, in retrospect, I wish that I checked it out sooner. So I feel like we were kind of battling that uh, perception and then, Oh man, I totally just brain farted. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um, holy crap. Wow, that is bad. Is it is it possible to have a senior moment, or is this just a result of waking well, up? Well, let's, like let's talk about that. How we were talking earlier, we can we can kind of go back and forth. So you have a kid, I have two kids. How how old are you? I think you might be about my age. I am forty two right now. Oh, I'll be forty in October. So yeah, you and I are very close together, and I have senior moments all the time. <laughs> oh my god. I just I feel like against my against my will and ultimately what I believe to be the will of nature I am now a morning person which is a, such a I've never thought in a million years that I would have the ability to wake up like between I would say between five and six o'clock consistently with no alarm clock and be awake when I'm when my eyes open it's not like it's not like opening my eyes and be like oh thank God and then I just go back to sleep and it's noon. Does that but, affect uh, you when you go on the road? Because I mean, the 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 schedule's completely flip flopped when you go on the road. Nah, right? it's like jet lag. I just like it, at that point, I just I have a straight up like jet lag. I just have to acclimate to a different schedule at that point. So it's like a couple of days where I'm a little bit sleepy around showtime, and then kind of force yourself to stay up late and sleep in a little bit. And then the next thing you know, I'm back onto my normal degenerate tour schedule of going to bed at like four in the morning and waking up at like one in the afternoon. <laughs> so you said that you just recently moved. Uh, where are you at in the country right now? I'm in, uh, I'm outside of Nashville. Okay. I've been living in East Nashville for the last uh, six or five and a half years. And uh, we love it. We, but um, it's just, it's, it's hipper than it is safe and con- and good for, our daughter in a weird way, like, and that sounds snooty or whatever, but there's a, there are a couple counties outside of Nashville that are known for just being super safe and great schools. So we kind of, uh, we're doing, we're do, we made, we made the move and, uh, 
it's going to be great when my daughter is old enough to visit our old neighborhood that's probably super hip in five, ten. I mean, it's hip now, but it would be going there in like ten years. I'm like, Dad, how can we moved here? And I'll. I will take great pleasure in being like, because of you, like you did this <laughs> yeah. when it was just me and your mom, we were going to the bars and we were hanging out and we were doing all the fun stuff. We were up five nights a week and then you came along. Isn't that weird though? Like my wife and I just moved to a new area too. I'm in Muncie, Indiana, which is North of Indianapolis. And it's like when you have kids, you have to look at different things. Like what are the schools like? What, I mean, like I never thought about any of that stuff and my kids are still fairly young. I mean, they're toddlers, but you don't know how long you're going to be somewhere. So you have to make sure you're going to move to a place that might accommodate the future. I just think that's very strange. Yeah. I mean, that's hundred percent what happened. We figured that if we were going to move now, I'd rather her make some friends in the area so that by the time she hits school in a few years, she already has some, she's going to go into, she's going to go into school knowing a couple of people. It won't be like, Hey, you pulled me out of like uh, you pulled me out of a preschool situation. Cause she currently is still going to preschool in East Nashville, uh, which is, you know, not far. It's like 14 miles from here, but it's, it's, it's far enough where, you know, she's not going to clearly go to school out there, but yeah, at least that way when she's out here, she's going to make some friends. And when she hits school, it's not going to be like, I don't know anyone. I hate this. Just trying to make is just trying to basically lubricate transitions. That's what all of this is. I feel like I feel like Nashville is almost like a like a new Portland or Seattle. It seems like a lot of kind of punk and hardcore musicians are all moving to Nashville. Do you kind of feel me on that? Yeah, it's you know what we have. I have a really good friend. This guy Ethan Luck. He played with Reliant K. Uh, he's uh, he's an amazing musician, and he's been like my best friend here. And I met him uh, a while back when I was doing the To Write Love on Her Arms tour with Anthony. Um, and he was like, man, you got to get out of living in New York City. I don't know how you do it. You should move to Nashville. And we were like, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, Anthony's, um, Anthony's ex-wife and the, the mother of his daughter lives, her family is down here. So they had already started a conversation about moving down here. I had kind of, we uh, just, my wife and I had kind of joked around about it. And then her job, she works for ASCAP, who does, uh, she does a concert licensing. Cool. They are headquarters. They have a headquarters here and they have, you know, they have offices in New York and they at the time kind of just totally kind of randomly had offered her the opportunity to transfer down here. So I was like, Hey, you want to go live somewhere that doesn't cost as much as New York city? <laughs> we'll probably make more money. And, uh, yeah, it'll be like a greater, it'll be a better place where we can actually have more space and maybe have a kid. So it just seemed like a no brainer, but yeah, it's weird when we came, this is weird. I've been on here for about six years and the entire, I guess the, the landscape of Nashville, as far as just like the visuals, like physical landscape, the demographic landscape, everything has changed pretty dramatically. It is, I mean, it still does. It is very much kind of centered around music was it a few weeks ago i went in like one week i saw toto and i saw napalm death slayer testament so it's like I, I, there's just such a, a broad variety now you know i've also there's a lot of like prog stuff that comes through here i've seen like mahavishnu orchestra so there's definitely not just like hey, it's dirk spindley playing at the nissan stadium tonight there's definitely a lot there's a lot more going on here. Yeah, it's it's great, you know. And Anthony and I live here. I know that Chad from Newfound and Ryan Key did live down here. My friend Ethan and I have a bunch of other friends, like uh, my friend Alex, who's in Mayday Parade, and Rob, who is in uh, We Are the In Crowd, live down here. Just kind of a big collection of uh, actually most of the Reliant K guys down are down here too. So uh, Brandon Swanson, who's like a tattoo artist, who was in uh, one of the original I'm the Avalanche guys, and he just moved down here. I saw Matt Ridenour from Hawthorne Heights. He's moving here now. So it's like. 
just a to- it's it's kind of awesome. It feels like going out in East Nashville almost feels like it can start to feel like I warped to a barbecue a little bit. <laughs> that's awesome. My wife and I have tried to decide, you know, if we leave Indiana again, because that's I moved back to Indiana because of, you know, the finances. It's cheaper to live here. So, yeah. so like we've discussed Nashville quite a bit. So I'm. it makes me feel good that there's a lot of musicians sort of like me down there. Maybe I'll have a little community if I ever end up down there. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, you'd be, I, it would be shocking to you how many people you know that you don't know are here already. I feel like if you've, if you've done touring at all, that's awesome. And just, it's, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, uh, there's a good sense of community. It's, it's definitely less expensive than New York. It is, however, getting expensive pretty quick. The real estate's going a little bit crazy, which is, I guess, good if you own some, but, uh, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to move down and actually buy, buy a spot. Okay, so I want to get back to the music because I don't want to take up a lot of your time, but I, I do enjoy the talking about Nashville because I'm thinking about moving down there. But uh, Heck yeah, we'll, so, talk, we'll talk off the record. Later. Cool, man. So Vacancy uh, mm-hmm. was your most recent full length, correct? Yep. And that came out on Hopeless Records. What is the is, is Hopeless treating you guys okay? Yeah, Hopeless is my favorite thing to say about Hopeless, and I love this because I feel like it's somewhat of an anomaly. Hopeless does everything that they say they're going to. Wow. We have stood by. They're, they're honest. They stand by what they say, and I love that. And I think that, like, we're also, again, being self-sufficient. We're not asking for a ton. It's like, hey, let's, let's make this record. We're not going to try to – we're not trying to fleece you. Let's make this record. Let's get it out. Spend a reasonable amount on this and this. We're going to run pre-sale. Give us some ads, and then let's just get out there and do this. And you know, when we recoup, let us have what we're owed. That's great, man. I mean, I've, I've dealt yeah. with them a couple of times. They always seem like really, really good people over there. There. It's a, you know what? It's, it's nice to be in that office too. Everyone who's works there. It seems to be a genuine fan of all the bands. They care about what they're doing. They're hungry. It's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a really nice group of, it's a really nice group of folks. I'm really, we're really happy. We're really lucky to have like good folks to work with. So you guys have uh, your second acoustic record that's coming out soon, correct? Yep. We were taking some time off from touring just because I feel like we've been going a lot for the last couple of years. So we wanted to take the better part of a year off of um, and start, right, start thinking about our next full length. And uh, we had all this downtime, and then we started talking about, like, we should do another acoustic record because we, you know, we don't really need to, we could maybe write, write one song, but for the most part, we could just kind of reimagine some of the uh, some of the existing material, and we had done a short run of these type of shows, a full band acoustic stuff, last holiday season, and it went real well. So we were like, sure, with that set list that we were playing there, we could add a few more. We can kind of work some of our stuff out, and uh, we'll just see if Hopeless wants to do this. And we approached them with the idea, and they were like, yeah, well, you know, we'll do it. But nobody really these typically don't do that well. But you know, it doesn't really. It's not really going to cost us much. Like you have, we're doing it at a buddy's studio here, just a couple of flights to get Nick and Chris down. Um, yeah, and then we did it, and everyone was like, "We we heard the record, and we were like, this came out better than we thought it was going to." And then uh, the label was really excited about it. And so far, it's being really well received. Everyone seems pretty pumped. So uh, yeah, kind of a I wouldn't say a happy accident because it was certainly something we didn't deliberately. But uh, I don't think we we just kind of thought this was going to be more of a uh, I just throw it out there the fa- kind of something that we're going to do for our fans who yeah. would, but uh, yeah, it seems like this is the first record that Bayside has made where my dad is like, Oh, I like this record. My dad is like, <laughs> awesome. I think he's happy for me. And he's like, yeah, I know this is your job. I get it. But like every, if I play him most of the Bayside, he's like, yeah, it sounds, sounds like, sounds like music to me, I guess. <laughs> and then this one is the one where he's like, I need this. And he's like, I want to listen to this. So I feel like 
if for, I don't know what that means that it appeals to like a 70 year old Irish guy, but <laughs> he, he likes it. That's cool. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your solo stuff? I know you're getting ready to go on tour again in November with Nathan gray, who was just on the show last week, actually. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited. You know what? I, I don't know that I've met Nathan before. We chatted a little bit, but I'm really excited for that. Uh, we, I got approached, well, I guess the whole solo project came about with, uh, my friend Ethan, who's from, who's down here. We were hanging out drinking one night and he was like, we should go on tour. He has a number of solo records that are, uh, kind of a little bit, um, I would say a little bit social D sounding. Okay. Um, we should do a tour and i was like yeah and then the next morning i'm like i'm not gonna go on tour i don't have a record i don't have any like material it's like what am i gonna just go out there and be like i'm on tour with nothing be like (laughs) so i kind of was like i don't have a record i'm not doing this he's like well let's just figure something out he's like write a bunch of songs and come over and record them so i kind of spent some time spent like a couple weeks came up with four or five songs tracked it there uh I wrote one song and had it recorded while Bayside was writing out in California and then came back with a bunch of mixed tracks. I uh, have a, another friend down here who mastered them for me. And then it was one of those things where I felt like, I was like, should I? I kind of talked to our manager. I was like, look, I don't want, this is a first effort. It doesn't really make a ton of cohesive sense. It's not like stylistically one thing. This is kind of a bunch of different stuff. I'm not really sure what this solo thing is supposed to be. Do I need to? give them the opportunity to put this out or do is this something I can just do? Cause I'm not looking to like, this isn't like, a, I don't need a big push. I'm just trying, I'm still kind of experimenting. And she was like, give them, you know, give them a heads up. And if they start, if they put the brakes on, you have to respect it. But if you don't, you know, if they don't care, then just do it. He's like, I don't think they're going to care. So I'm just, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I sent him something and I didn't hear back for like a week. And I was like, well, fuck it. Here it is. So <laughs> and awesome. I just kind of, put it out and it's doing what I wanted to do. It's given, it's given me an opportunity where I can go out and I can play shows and it's not, I don't want to cheapen it by saying that it's not cohesive and it's not really like it's all the songs are thought out and I really like the songs. But as far as like picking a direction as a solo artist, I feel like at least why Bayside is incredible is still very active. The solo project for me is music for music's sake. So it's all songs that I'm, it's stuff that I'm doing that I'm working on that I like. And I'm leaning on the fact that it doesn't have to be, anything and that's again one of the reasons i kind of wanted to keep a label out when they hear five songs where a couple of them sound the same this one kind of sounds like this one but i was like i don't want to i don't want to have something that's supposed to be fun all of a sudden turn into another job until i figure out what it's supposed to be and then if i'm like okay this i mean i don't know because some of the stuff that i'm working on now is more just straight up fusion like instrumental basically like four minute guitar solo stuff (laughs) And it's like, well, I don't know where that would fit on this record, but I kind of don't want it to have to be something until I know what it's supposed to be. And then, you know, if I find a direction where I'm like, this is clearly what I should be doing that at that point, then I'll, I will call the label more intensely and just be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is a, a real thing. But again, not that it's not a real thing, but all, yeah, all these songs were sort of born out of fun and I like that they're fun. They're fun to play. I, there's something I could do with a band. It's something I can do by myself. Um, yeah. And, People seem to people seem to be enjoying it so far, so that's good. Have you noticed a lot of like you know Bayside fans coming out, and then I mean, are they are they into it, or are they kind of confused by it? I think that Bayside fans are going to be fans of anything that any of us do collectively, just because of their just because of our affiliation with Bayside, which is awesome to have sort of a built in audience. I don't think that it's you know I would say that it appeals to a specific 
uh, side of basement fans, but people have been, the people who are fans of my playing are certainly very receptive to it. And I think the people who are more casual fans of Bayside might be a little bit more confused by it, but honestly, it's still, it is a little bit confusing. It's for me, it's like a way for people to kind of see different elements of where my influences lie without it being kind of more focused than it, as it is in Bayside. That's great, man. So uh, I know you don't have a lot of time, uh, just like you and me. We, we both have kids. It's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. I can't believe you have two. You have a two-year mo- a two year and 11 months? I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and 11 months tomorrow. She turns 11 months tomorrow. Oh, man. You are in the weeds. I am in the weeds. And I'm also teaching guitar full-time, 60 students a week. And I'm doing uh, two or three interviews a week for the podcast. So I am done, man. <laughs> <laughs> you are a champion. Yeah, I am like I like I to stay like busy, man. Having moved and all the stuff that I'm doing right now, I feel like I'm like I'm drowning. But <laughs> nope, I'm not. That's, that's, that's cool. your job. You're drowning. <laughs> so uh, this is called that one time on tour. So I want to ask you. And I mean, this could be a hard question. I mean, some people have answers right away. You've done a lot of touring over the last 15 years. What are some of your like favorite memories, or maybe a crazy story that you you know can tell me? Like anything about touring. This is one of my favorite stories, and it comes to mind right away. Okay. We had gone to Omaha on a day off when we were on tour with the Sleeping, and the Sleeping's relationship with the inside the band. I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm not talking shit. There, they'll tell you the story too. They were very tumultuous towards the end. Like their guitar, everyone was kind of quitting and rejoining the band. Everyone was like kind of just getting on each other's nerves. They've been going for so long. The uh, we had a day off in Omaha, and. We were looking for something to do, and this farm was like, I guess we're just going to drink. Let's just go drinking. So we were drinking, and we're looking for go-karts, because why wouldn't you go drunk and ride go-karts? Yeah. And uh, we found this convenience store. There was a girl working in there, and we're like, let's just ask her. She might know what's going on. We're like, hey, we're in town. What's going on? She's like, well, I'm going swimming with my friends later, if you guys want to come. And we're like, that's very nice of you, but there's like a ton of us, and like not like we're weird, but you don't know us. And like, I appreciate the offer, but that's, you know, what it is, what it is. She's like, no, it'll be great. Where are you guys staying? And we're like, okay. So we told her the hotel and she rolled up with a guy who was actually missing an eye, but didn't have an eye patch, just straight up just holding his head. And then the first thing he said was like, Hey, what's up? Yep. I'm missing an eye. They called me one eye. We're like, all right, this is interesting. And I was like, what are we doing? And be like, well, uh, she was like, this guy works at a water park. We're going to go. So we're like, all right, fine. So this is also at night. So it's like 10 o'clock at night. We're like, oh, late night water park. No, it's closed. So the guy like hops the fence, goes in, flips a bunch of lights on, like comes back with a key somewhere, opens it up, and then jumps over the bar and just starts. There's like a bar, like a beer concession thing there. Just starts pouring beers and putting them out on the counter. And uh, we ended up having this like really bizarre like full evening out until like three in the morning at like a, at like a broken into water park, getting, getting drunk and like doing all the stuff you're not supposed to do in water slot in water park. It's like, Hey, you need to go down to Matt on this slide. Be like, not today. You don't like, I'm just <laughs> going to jump down head first and like take all the skin off my arms. Like, so that was a, uh, I've been, I gave you a very abridged version of a, of a longer <laughs> story, but that was definitely, I've loved. And it's funny. Cause like people, I think people assume like now is the crazy time where it's like, this is things must be nuts on tour. I'm like, no man, it is tame now. Like I feel like the first couple of years of touring where you're like, you don't know where you're going to stay. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. not making any money. And like, you kind of find yourself in these positions. I mean, at this point, like I'm very lucky to be in the position that we're in, but it's like, Hey, what are you going to do tonight? Be like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put on sweatpants. So I'm going to watch TV in the bus and then I'm going to go to bed. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't sound like fun. They're like, no, it's, but it's, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and I mean, but, plus yeah, at, at those, our age, I mean, when I was 20, 
when I was 20, I was cool with sleeping on the floor and eating ramen noodles every night. And now that I'm, you know, almost 40, it's nice to have a bunk on a bus and watch DVDs and be in sweatpants. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just being comfortable. It's like, maybe I don't want to be out until like three in the morning drinking. Maybe I do just want to go to bed like after the show. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, man. So So it's no, you can go. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's pretty much it. Well, I was going to ask you, I'm an avid traveler. I talk about this on the podcast all the time. I've been to like roughly 60, 62 countries, something like that. I know you guys have done a lot of things overseas. Do you have any favorite venues or favorite cities or countries that you've been to? Um, I really had the I had the best time on the first couple sound waves that we had done where you're kind of in Australia doing uh, these like big, it's almost like a warp tour, but like yeah. not as many shows and everyone's staying in nice hotels and they're really well organized. Like those, I, I will always remember those because, you know, my first time being in Australia and you're, they pick you up and they bring you to these hotels that are these really fancy hotels downtown and the catering is really good. You have a bunch of free time on those tours. So you actually get to see, it's like, Hey guys, you have two days off in Sydney. And we're like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, I mean, you don't have the money to have two days in Sydney, but it's just like being able to walk around and see the place. So those were always, uh, the first couple of sound waves are something that really stick out to me is they're like, Oh man, that was that was amazing. Just being, being able to go to a place that you kind of never really assumed you would actually ever get to. Yeah. It's sad that that festival is kind of no more. I know we had done the last one and it just, the, everything was, it didn't, it didn't feel the same at all. Like everything about it was like definitely was different from how it, how it had been in the beginning. It was kind of split up. So you would find yourself on different days with half of the bands and we had friends on both days, but it was like one of those things where I was like, I can't believe we're not going to see so-and-so the whole time we're here. Like, that's insane. Cause it's just kind of, we're traveling back and forth and it just, you know, everything just seemed scaled back and a little bit different. So, I mean, it was still, it's still, I will never take for granted the, the fact that I've actually got, not that I've been allowed to go to Australia as many times as I have, but that's just one of those things. I really wish I, I'm kind of, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm optimistic. And, uh, that someday we'll be able to get to Asia because we have not done any touring in, uh, in Asia. It's, yet, it's, it's so. a whole different thing over there, man. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm dying to, if anyone, if any Asian promoters are listening right now, just hook us up, man. We've, we've got Bears listener. Over. We've got listeners in like Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines. So maybe who knows? Yeah, I would like to I would like to go to all those places. That's awesome, man. Okay, so I'll tell you what, I don't want to take up a lot more of your time. I do, however, is there anything you'd like to tell us where people can check out your new solo stuff? Uh do you know exactly where you guys are gonna to be touring in November? Can you give us some details? Yeah, I do. Um well as far as my stuff goes, everything can be found online. Uh streaming everything on all the normal spots like YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon and uh, all that good stuff. And uh, the tour I'm going to be doing is going to be running from the 1st through the 10th of November. And we're going to be playing at the Black Forge in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the 1st. This is basically in chronological order. I'm going to read the tour. Ad okay, to go for it, man. Yeah, that's where I am right now. Uh, Pittsburgh on the 1st at the Black Forge Coffee Shop. November 2nd, we're going to be at Day in the Life uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're going to be at the Ivacota Studios in Washington, D.C. on the 3rd. The Camel in Richmond on November 4th. Uh, Monstercade in Winston-Salem, North Carolina on the 6th. Oh, sorry, on the 5th. On the 6th, we're going to be at Brewhouse Gallery in Lake Park, Florida. Will's Pub in Orlando on the 7th. Planet Retro on the 8th in St. Pete. Uh, we're going to be doing a house show in Gulf Breeze in Florida on November 9th. And on the 10th, we're going to be back here in Nashville at the 5 Spot. 
So I am super excited to come out. I'm going to play 45 minutes. I'm going to be trying out some new instrumental stuff that I've been doing uh, with some looping, playing the EP, maybe do one another new song I'm working on, and probably uh, one or two new covers. And yeah, kind of stoked to be hanging out with Nathan too. I'm really excited. I've been listening to a lot of his stuff, so I'm really excited to watch him play and. You know, spend 10 days on the road with a guy you don't know. That's one of the best ways you get to know him. I'm sure we'll uh, know each other real well at the, end, at the end of 10 days. Are you guys going to be traveling together like in a van or something? Or Yeah, we uh, we got introduced through a mutual friend uh, as, as a man, Jamie Arthurs, who used to manage Bayside when I first joined. He lives down in the College Park, Maryland area. But uh, he's, I'm not sure what his relationship is with Nathan, but those two seem to be uh, close also. So it's nice he kind of called me out of the, he called me uh couple months ago and was like hey how do you feel about doing this in uh in november with nathan gray and i was like yeah if he's into it like i would be i'm super into it i'm always looking for an excuse to get out there and just play and it's refreshing you know how it is like if you're touring with a band and that becomes like your job and i don't i in no way want to detract from how fun it is to be in bayside like i actually have the most fun playing but it's like anything else once you've done it a number of times this is something just completely different it's just like a it's just refreshing to do something kind of a little bit different that's cool man well i'm gonna push it as much as i can on all of our socials to get people to come check you guys out i hope you have a wonderful tour i really enjoyed speaking with you today and uh hope to maybe have you back for a part two sometime Heck yeah, man. Anytime. I'd be happy to. Cool. Well, go take care of your daughter, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. You bet, man. Thank you so much. Yep. Talk to you later. All right, later. And there it was, my conversation with Mr. Jack O'Shea from Bayside. I had a great time speaking with Jack, and uh, my wife and I have actually been talking a little bit more about moving to Nashville, so who knows, man, maybe I'll you know go hang out with all those guys down there in Nashville real soon. But uh, next week on the show, I could not be more excited. My guest is the one and only Mr. Eddie Breckenridge from Thrice. I am a huge Thrice fan. Uh, I toured with Thrice uh, when I was in the Ataris. We did the Warp Tour with them on the main stage back in 2009. I've seen them so many times. I've got all of their records. They are a great band. I actually found out about Thrice on Napster like back in 1999 before they even signed to Hopeless. So I've been a fan for a long time. But uh, that's next week. So until then, make sure you're following us on all of the social media platforms. TOTOT podcast. Write us a review, subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, that's about it. I'm going to get out of here now because it's super late and I'm tired and I have to work tomorrow. So uh, I have to go teach the kiddies some guitar. But I'm going to leave you with two songs this time. I'm going to leave you with one of Jack's solo songs called Insomnia, which is really, really cool. And then I'm going to play my favorite Bayside song. It's off of Sirens and Condolences. It is called Masterpiece. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Please tell a friend, tell a family member, help us spread this thing. We've got some great guests coming up. I'm going to be talking in the future with uh, Randy from Pennywise. I'm going to be talking to Pete from Offspring. I'm going to be talking to Shane. Shane from Lead Singer Syndrome and Silverstein. Shane's going to come on the show. We've been talking about uh, having him on for a long time. It's finally going to happen. So thank you guys out there in podcast land. I'm Chris. I'm going to leave you guys right now. So here it is, Insomnia and Masterpiece. Thank you guys so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah.
wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11.